Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samaya Keynes, the US Economics and Trade Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bown, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. This episode is about US-Mexico trade, immigration, and President Trump's newest threat. We'll be answering five questions. Question number one, what just happened? At 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, May 30th, just as I was settling down to work on a trade talk script about e-commerce, President Donald Trump tweeted this. On June 10th, the United States will impose a 5% tariff on all goods coming into our country from Mexico until such time as illegal migrants coming through Mexico and into our country stop. The tariff will gradually increase until the illegal immigration problem is remedied, at which time the tariffs will be removed. This tweet also came out with an official White House statement that explained that President Trump was going to be calling a state of national emergency, drawing on something called the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, or IEPA. And so from June 10th, the United States was going to impose a tariff of 5%, and this would increase to 25% by October 1st on imports coming in from Mexico. That is, unless Mexico somehow managed to control the flow of immigration. That's a tariff of up to 25% on one of America's biggest trading partners, on billions and billions of dollars of trade. And yes, of course, that's a lot of trade in automobiles. We've talked about imports from Mexico of automobiles lots before. But this also includes aerospace, telecommunications equipment, medical devices, agriculture, lots and lots of different things. Obviously, this won't end there. If the tariffs go into effect on on imports coming in to the U.S., I think we can expect some retaliation from Mexico, just like we saw with, with steel and aluminium. So we should expect more tariffs on trade going the other way, on American exporters. Question number two. Why? Essentially, the president is annoyed about people trying to get into America through the Mexican border. This is this is not a new issue. But if you look at the data, there has been a recent increase in the number of people apprehended at the border trying to cross. A lot of that increase of the migrants coming in over the border from Mexico, these aren't necessarily Mexicans. They are Central Americans and they're also women and children and families seeking asylum. Here's Gordon Hansen from the University of California, San Diego. The irony is that the U.S. having a migration problem on its southern border became Mexico's reality now with having a migration problem on its southern border with immigrants from throughout Central America entering Mexico through Guatemala. We recorded a lot more with Gordon, and, and as a sneak preview, we're going to release the full thing as a separate episode to come out soon. The main takeaway is that this is really, really complicated. It has also not happened randomly. There are drivers of this. And some of those are policies with unintended consequences. Moving on, though, and and I want to be really clear that I do not agree with the rhetoric of the president. I don't think that this is a crisis that is going to pull down America. I think these are people. They are seeking safety. They deserve to be treated better than than the rhetoric that the president is using to describe them. 
But, you know, thinking about what could happen next, there was a call with officials on the night of the tweet and and the officials were asked, well, what, what do the Americans want? What could the Mexicans actually do uh, if they wanted to satisfy the president? And they outlined three things that they wanted the Mexicans to do. So that the first one was to step up security efforts at their southern border. As Gordon said, the pressure at the borders, you know, that is related, these, these two borders. The second thing they wanted is for the Mexican government to target transnational criminal organizations, which they are claiming helps to smuggle people through the country. And they also want people to claim asylum in the first safe country they arrive in. That means Mexico and not the U.S. All of these suggestions coming out of the United States, though, they seem to be aimed at tackling the symptoms as opposed to the underlying problems that, that are driving why it is these these people are leaving El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras in the first place. And in the past, when these types of issues have arisen, it's really been a much different sort of approach. It's been a, a complex, coordinated effort by all of the countries in the region in combination with the United States to come up with solutions that included ways to help these countries development and deal with the crime, the conflict, and other types of issues. Whatever the answer is, it's really unlikely that tariffs itself are going to be the things that that help solve the problem. Yeah, I think this is really quite new. Uh, This is the first big, big example of tariffs and trade policy being used to achieve non-trade objectives. So earlier on in the Trump administration, the claim was that tariffs could restrict imports and, and it could benefit America's national security uh, or perhaps you know persuade the Chinese to to change their domestic policy, uh, but really you know restricting imports was the aim uh, with China. You know if the Trump administration persuaded some business executives to shift supply out of China, then that was that was great according to some some. Here, this is just brute force. This is just saying we want you to do something and we're going to cause pain unless you do it. And the instrument and the outcome are pretty much entirely unrelated. It is worth pointing out that there does seem to have been some resistance within the Trump administration. For a long time, I've been of the view that there's no single strategy of the Trump administration. There are members of the Trump administration with competing uh, ideologies, frameworks, strategies, and so on. And, And for a while now, actually, Robert Lighthizer seems to have been keeping a fairly close grip on things. But this seems to be an example where actually different advisors to the president, I think it's been reported that Stephen Miller was pushing this idea. Um, it was it was really their idea. I think one takeaway from this is when you're trying to interpret what the Trump administration is doing, there's a temptation to try to assign a single overarching strategy to their actions. And sometimes that's just not it. Sometimes it's competing interests getting their voice heard on a singular policy. And while it may look like chaos, even that is too simple an answer. Question number three, is what he's doing even legal? So as we said, he's used the International Emergency Economic Powers Act of 1977, or AIPA. Listeners probably haven't heard very much about this before, and and that's because it has not been used in this way before. Something does feel a bit iffy about it, essentially... The Constitution grants the power to set tariffs and trade policy to Congress. The president isn't supposed to be able to just randomly whack up tariffs whenever he wants. But 
there have been these laws that over time have delegated certain specific powers to the president. My Peterson Institute colleague, Gary Huffbauer, has has written about this, and he actually wrote a large piece explaining how President Trump might use this IEPA law long before President Trump was actually elected back in 2016. Gary's argument, and Gary is actually a trained lawyer, and you know we're just pretending to, to be one here. But his argument is that the courts might allow a president to impose tariffs under this act. Historically, the courts in the United States have given the president latitude to determine for himself what is a national emergency. And this IEPA law has language saying things like, the president may investigate, regulate, or prohibit any transactions in foreign exchange. So the argument might be that tariffs are a form of regulation and imports are a transaction in foreign exchange. And so those might satisfy the criteria to allow the president to actually impose tariffs under this law. There are some folks out there who are skeptical. Jennifer Hillman of Georgetown University and friend of the podcast, uh, she was saying that IEPA doesn't actually specifically mention duties or import restrictions, whereas the other laws that the Trump administration has been using to impose tariffs, they do. I heard from John Murphy of the US Chamber of Commerce, and he said that it was early days, but the chamber is examining all legal options. So it seems highly likely that this will be challenged in the courts. Kelly Maimon-Hock at McClarty Associates told me that that using IEPA was like one of those old laws in you know the old US South where public dancing was prohibited, but no one enforced it. And then some conservative preacher moves to town and then enforces it and says, you can't dance. And then everyone is just stunned that anyone ever outlawed dancing in the first place. <laughs> I like it. Imports are, are like dancing. And of course, another potential path here is Congress could step in and rewrite the law to try to take the power away from the president. But doing so would require a veto-proof majority in the Senate that is currently controlled by the Republican Party. So it seems really unlikely that's going to happen, especially sometime before June 10th, when these first sets of tariffs would be scheduled to go on. There's obviously the question of whether this is permissible under the rules of the World Trade Organization, uh, but I I think we're beyond that now. Um, Presumably, if there was a challenge, the U.S. would say it was protecting its national security. Nothing matters anymore. Question number four. What does this mean for the U.S. and Mexico? My hot take is that if you have a tariff of between 5 and 25% on trade flows, trade is going to go down. So that tariff would be a big tax. Mexico sent around $350 billion worth of goods to the United States in 2018. And if you put tariffs of 25% on that, that's actually a bigger tax increase than President Trump's tariffs that he's imposed on China so far. Sticking on those China tariffs... Obviously, there's a whole other trade war that listeners are very excited about. Michele Ruta of the World Bank sent me an analysis that he'd done with some colleagues, which suggested that Mexico might have been getting some of the benefits of trade diversion from the US-China trade war. So businesses saying, China's looking a bit dicey with all these tariffs, why don't we switch to Mexico? I'd say these threats undermine that. Another big potential problem here and ways that I think this is different from the China tariffs is there would probably be a lot more pain for American workers. There's a lot more American content, American parts, components that are embedded in these Mexican products that would face the new tariffs. Alonzo de Gartari at Princeton University has estimated that 30% of the value of manufactured imports coming into the United States from Mexico 
actually are made up of U.S. value, the U.S. parts and components that were first shipped to Mexico before coming back in. Obviously, with lots of this Mexico-U.S. trade, the the countries are neighbors. You've got all these integrated supply chains. If you have components crossing the border multiple times, then there's a risk these tariffs could compound. And then you've got the issue that there are just going to be a lot of consumer products that are going to be hit. And therefore, the immediate impact on the consumer might be higher than, than a lot of the stuff that we've been seeing, for example, with China, where you've got intermediate inputs, parts, and, and so on, that can be absorbed by businesses. Think about Mexican avocados. Or clothes. Now, since what President Trump is proposing here is quite different than what we've seen before, he's proposing 5 to 25% tariffs on everything the United States imports from Mexico, the effect of who ends up paying the cost of those tariffs could be quite different from the evidence thus far. Yeah, I think when predicting the effects of these tariffs, there are just a lot of moving parts. And so, you know, I think just general message to be careful out there when when assuming that exactly what has happened in the past will happen in the future. Uh, and one, one thing I just wanted to say about this was that one has to be particularly careful when thinking about currency movements. So the, the Mexican peso fell in value against the dollar. And I'll try and go through this slowly, but so if you think about an American importer, they're importing a car, say, Uh, that now has a 5% tariff. But the peso just falls by 5% relative to the dollar. And so it's become 5% cheaper in dollar terms, maybe. And that could offset the extra cost of the tariff, right? So if, if exchange rates adjust, then perhaps the importer doesn't end up paying so much. Now, the, the wrinkle is that if the car had been priced in dollars, if the if the invoice or the contract had been written in dollars, then that exchange rate effect might not show up in the price that that importer pays. So the, the peso might have fallen in value, but the importer doesn't see any of the benefits of that because it's just stuck with the old price in dollars. And then all it has to do is pay the tariff. And so all you see is that their price goes up. Now, obviously, there are a zillion other things that could move at the same time. So, you know, I'm not making a prediction here. I'm just pointing out that once you factor in these invoicing things, you can't predict what the effect of these tariffs will be on trade flows and and who pays for the tariffs. And this is also important given that so much of international trade is actually invoiced in dollars and not Mexican pesos. Now, obviously, the effects of these tariffs will show up more clearly the higher the tariff goes. Um, there's a big difference between a 5% tariff and a 25% tariff. Thinking about the autos industry, companies would really struggle to absorb that into their profit margins. They would have to raise prices. And Americans will start to find out just how many of their cars and trucks are made in Mexico. In general, this also isn't a great time for the automobile sector. Demand is already softening. Consumers aren't buying as many cars. They're also, of course, worried about these other tariffs that might come on Europe and, and Japan. And this additional cost, this additional uncertainty is not helping them uh, plan for the future. And obviously a word on how important this is for Mexico. Trade is really important for the Mexican economy. Exports are more than a third of Mexican GDP and 80% of their exports go to the United States. Back in the US, this could hurt confidence. That seems to be the biggest risk to the US economy that people are talking about. The idea is that all this trade war stuff could terrify businesses. They could hold off investments. They could stop producing as much. Maybe they could stop hiring so many people. 
And that could have sort of spillover effects, knock-on effects, and drag other bits of the economy down. If you look at lots of financial indicators, uh, it just looks like people are kind of scared right now. And investors really don't seem to like the tariffs. The direct hit to the U.S. economy would probably show up in places that are particularly reliant on trade with Mexico. So some communities in Texas, areas where the auto industry is tied in in through parts and components in in Michigan and in the in the upper Midwest. There are certainly companies, workers that would be affected by this. Uh, so while the overall American economy, the impact might be relatively small, there certainly would be certain areas that would be directly impacted. Now, obviously, the big uncertainty is what all this means for the US MCA. Embarrassingly, both the Americans and also the Mexicans sent the deal to their, you know, legislatures for initial approval. There hadn't been formal votes yet, but you know, this was supposed to be the day that that you went forward in terms of getting the USMCA ratified. Doesn't seem like there'd be much point in trying to get that deal through if you've suddenly got 25% tariffs on on all imports coming in from Mexico into the US. Question number five. What does this mean for the rest of the world? One important thing is it looks like this latest policy announcement confirms that President Trump does indeed like tariffs. He really is a tariff man. I think my immediate takeaway is that this really undermines Robert Lighthizer when he's trying to negotiate anything. Uh, It's fairly obvious that he can't offer a promise that his country will stick to whatever he negotiates. That makes it really difficult for him to negotiate anything with the EU, with Japan. What's the point of making concessions if if the Americans are just going to go back on their promises? I think another important point here, and this won't be new for for Trade Talks listeners, is it again undermines the value of a rules-based trading system. President Trump threatening to whack tariffs on Mexico for some reason unrelated to trade just opens up this possibility for any other country out there to do the same thing. I have one final question, uh, which I'm going to sneak in, which is what's next? And then obviously we don't know. Uh, The president could tweet tomorrow that he's changed his mind. I really hope he doesn't tweet between when we finish recording this episode and when we publish it. Um, But I hope he does change his mind at some point, mainly because I'm going to be going on holiday on on June the 10th. Samantha, there are no holidays during the trade war. Great. There will be a lot of people who will be fighting this over the next 10 days and, and even beyond that if it if it does happen. Could be that the Mexicans do something that gives Trump a political win. Maybe something will happen in domestic politics. Who knows? I just want it to be over. <laughs> that is all for Trade Talks. A huge thank you to Gordon Hansen, the Pacific Economic Cooperation Chair in International Economic Relations at the University of California, San Diego. Thanks to him for helping us through Mexican immigration. You'll be hearing much more from him in an episode coming soon. Thanks also to my daughters for help with those questions. And thanks also to Samea's brother, Skander, for stepping in this week as the voice of Donald Trump. Our normal actor is away. Thanks also to Colin Warren, who handles our audio. And also make sure to send us ideas and feedback. Send us emails at email at tradetalkspodcast.com. Do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to fronts on a trade war, two is better than one. Is it only two? <laughs>